Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. I know it seems like a strange combination, but that gives me a unique view of life and death. Death can be scary. I get that. That's why I'm doing this. I want to help people explore life, death, and what it all means. We are born and we die. What we do in the middle is the space between. After over 30 years as a practicing clinical psychologist and professor of clinical psychology in Chicago, Dr. Kathy Goggin currently works at Creating Pathways Farms, where she integrates her long-term practice of psychotherapy, spirituality, and equine therapy to treat people. Although Dr. Goggin's professional work has historically been focused on the regular practice of clinical psychology, she has always maintained an interest in traditional healing practices and the intersection of mind, body, spirit in resolving distress and creating health. This includes her deep curiosity about the spectrum of human consciousness and Buddhist philosophy, quantum physics, and the practices of indigenous peoples around the world. Dr. Goggin was one of my greatest teachers and a huge support and proponent of my exploration of spirituality, and I'm looking so forward to our conversation. So welcome today, Kathy. Well, thanks, Amy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. So today we're going to talk about the concept of spiritual bypassing and why I think this concept is so important, especially right now, is because so much of more Eastern practices are certainly making their way into the Western world. But as, as they do, there can be a danger in sort of just connecting so fully to these spiritual practices and forgetting that there's a whole other emotional psychological component as well. And so I'm bringing you in today to talk specifically about this concept of spiritual bypassing. So can you explain the concept of spiritual bypassing and some of the dangers in it? Sure, I'm happy to do that. Um, it is to the best of my knowledge, spiritual bypassing was coined um, by John Wellwood, who's a psychologist uh, and a long-term Buddhist practitioner who's done a lot of writing. Um, and spiritual bypassing refers, is essentially a, a defensive move. It's a protective move that keeps us from pain, either the pain of experiencing emotions that we don't want to feel, or oftentimes, I think more often for Westerners, perhaps, um, the pain of an unwanted, unwelcome self-image, so more of a pride thing. So spiritual bypassing is a kind of a defense in that way. It keeps us from, it, it's an avoidance. It's an avoidance of feeling something that we don't really want to feel. And using spiritual ideals or teachings to accomplish that. That's where the, spirit, the spiritual part of spiritual bypassing comes in. It's using those teachings to avoid something rather than to be present to something. So can you give an example of what that would look like or how that would manifest? Um, sure. And I hope this example will be helpful because I'm going to try to talk about it, um, the psychological parts of this example, as well as the spiritual, not that they're discrete, but to try to highlight 
and I'm going to use an example about loss. When, when someone experiences the death of a beloved person in their life, um, we psychologists are very familiar with the phenomenon that when people are grieving and in a great deal of pain, that one of the things that can happen psychologically that complicates grief is that the bereaved person is angry at the person who died. They're angry at being left. They feel abandoned sometimes. And that doesn't seem acceptable. You're not supposed to be angry at the person who left. They didn't want to die after all. So, you know, I don't have any right to feel this way about them. It's bad. I'm, you know, I'm a bad person. And people will feel guilty and ashamed of having those feelings. I imagine you've had clients where you've encountered that or friends. Or sure, sure. Right. So that's the psychological piece, right? Like, I feel guilty. I shouldn't be having this emotion of anger toward this beloved person that's, that's gone, that's died. I should be feeling terrible for them. So that's the regular kind of psychological defensiveness. The spiritual bypassing part of that, which ramps, can ramp it up, is I'm above all that. Of course I understand that, you know, life is magnificent and all goes on and exists in perfection. And so I'm not angry. There's nothing to be angry about. And it's using those spiritual kind of ideals to say to yourself, yeah, I don't, I don't want to feel that anger I have toward that person. So I'm going to kind of jump to what I assume is this higher level of understanding and stay there so as to avoid the real experience of what's going on in my life and experiencing not just the loss and the sadness, but the anger or the sense of betrayal. And using the spiritual teachings to buttress that avoidance. So it can be anger, but it can also be a way to avoid sadness or um, any any emotional experience. I mean, I think that so many people have, because there's exposure to spiritual practices now in a way that maybe there hadn't been in the past, that you can sit in meditation and because you've sat in meditation in in some way, maybe you are more deeply connected. And this might be a sort of a, a general misunderstanding about what it means to mm-hmm. be spiritual. But I think we're sort of thinking about spirituality and psychology as very, very interconnected. Well, yes. And I, I know you shared this view. I've always felt that way. And, um, one of the ways I think about that uh, that's been helpful to me personally and professionally is that if, if I look at human consciousness as a spectrum, it starts with, or what the, the quote unquote lower frequency end of that spectrum is Jung's collective unconscious, the Freudian unconscious. And then we have normal everyday waking consciousness and we have dreaming, right? We have all these different aspects of human consciousness that are part of our experience as human beings. And for those of us who are more spiritually inclined, we also believe that there are aspects to being human that transcend that personality level or ego level. 
the spiritual, that which mm-hmm. is bigger than just us personally. Mm-hmm. So that, that, hence the words transpersonal. So when I think about my human experience as existing along that continuum of consciousness, at some point there is a call for many, many, many of us to move beyond the everyday psychological level into the more spiritual, into a more expansive sense of self, into wondering, um, you know, how, how does this all work and what does it all mean? And not just in a strictly existential sense, but people often have experiences that they know are not regular everyday kinds of encounters. Like when people encounter- Right, that was what led me to- Frankly, I mean, I remember yeah. where I stood in your office <laughs> when I came in and said, I just had this crazy experience. And you were so, and, and are, you were so grounded in sort of traditional psychodynamics, psychoanalytics, yeah. psychotherapy for those who aren't therapeutically yeah. minded, sort of the traditional way we think about Freud and relational therapy and relationships. And it just felt like, well, if she was going to tell me that I was sort of out of my mind, then I would know that I really am. And if she was going <laughs> to tell me that um, there's something here, then I know I need to explore it. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Exactly. They've never seemed, they don't seem like two different continua to me. Like, there's not a psychological continuum and then uh, a spiritual continuum. I see it as one spectrum that has different points along the way. And that, you know, it's kind of like if you're standing at, at, and you're the still point and there's an arc in front of you and the arc like a half circle and it represents different aspects of human consciousness along the way, where you're pointing your light is going to determine what level of consciousness you're engaging or exploring, right? So we can be looking at like the unconscious processes according to Freud, or we can look at what's happening in a dream, or we can look at what's more transpersonal and spiritual, like some of the experiences that you've had and and many people have that are outside what we consider the ordinary realm of experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, like feeling like in a dream, they had a visit, you know, from a beloved person that has died, right. and they people come in all the time and they'll say, "But I know it wasn't a dream; it was right. different than a dream, but it was like I was dreaming." And people trying to sort through how, what does that mean? How does that happen? What's actually going on? So those are the experience. That's an example of the kind of experience that seems more spiritually based and not psychologically based. It's not just a wish fulfilling dream. I want to see my grandfather that died. It's mm-hmm. a real sense of that uh, of connecting with that person again in an actual real way. Well, and I think that that piece is, is so important. That wish because I've heard people say. And I'm conscious of this when I'm working with people who are grieving is how you differentiate seeking spirituality to connect with people who have passed as a wish for not having to feel the pain of the loss, right? Right, right. 
versus truly connecting. Right. Like people can use, as you said, that wish can be to undo the loss. Right. So I don't really have to deal with that with the fact that you're not here anymore physically and I can't hold you and hug you and kiss you and hear your voice, but I can connect with you spiritually. And so it, that's another way of spiritual bypassing. Like, so I'm just going to hop over all that grief or sadness that I also feel at the loss of the physical you so that I can connect. Now, depending on how people understand loss and how they think about death, that's going to be more or less true. You know, for people who, for whatever reasons, whether it's religious or spiritual or just their view on life that has nothing to do, that, that's completely secular, if you don't think death is an outrage and you accept it as a normal part of life, then when loss comes, we feel sadness and grief, but it, it doesn't have to be a heavy weight. It's just a normal emotional and spiritual process that we go through because death is as natural to life as birth. You know, everything that's born will die. But it's the pain that we're avoiding, right? Which brings me right. to the, the question, which I think you, you and I talked a little bit before. Um, and you can, can you just, speak to the difference between pain and suffering. So my, um, what I've come to know at this point in my own journey about this subject, and it's, it's still something because I'm a human being, I struggle with, you know, but I like this explanation that, that pain is what is, you know, if you break your leg, it hurts. If you break your leg, it hurts. If you have a relationship that falls apart, it hurts. This is pain. Suffering is wanting it to be different. If we can accept the things that are painful, rather than saying, that shouldn't have happened, I need it to be different. And it's, it's naturally inhuman that we do this, okay? But the more we, we hang on to, I want it to be different as opposed to this is the pain that's here. That's what prolongs suffering. And that's more of a Buddhist, you know, kind of perspective on it. That we, if we can accept what is, even when it's painful. And accept doesn't mean embrace. Accept doesn't mean we do the happy dance about having pain. Mm -hmm. It means we don't fight that that's what's here. This is what's here. Pain is here. I so miss my loved one. How do we do that? I think this is where it gets so confusing for people and so challenging is there's a, oh, I mean, so much of death is, um, and so much of life, frankly, is around the attempt at avoiding pain. Right, exactly, right? Freud said a long time ago too, right? Avoid pain and seek pleasure. Mm -hmm. And what Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, it does. But, you know, here we live in this human world where that's not possible for anybody. Nobody gets through this life without 
experiencing pain. Certainly nobody gets through life without experiencing loss, at least not if they live long enough. Right. Right. So what do we do about that is the question you're asking. Well, that's a lifelong journey for all of us to try to to therapy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To try to sort that out. But what we've come, what we really have in psychology and neuropsych in particular come to understand more and this is where the Buddhist philosophy kind of dovetails with this. To the extent to which we allow emotion to be present, if we just give it our careful attention, we don't try to make it bigger, and especially we don't try to push it away, even intense emotions tend to moderate and change very quickly. Like within two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard once that it's, I think, 90 seconds. Yeah, yeah, it's not more than two minutes typically. And so, but especially, I'm sorry to say, many of us therapists, you know, we're so into the thinking about things that for many, many years now, psychology has ignored the body as, and the physical sensations that we go through in grief, in sadness in anger. In everyday life. uh, Right, (laughs) Right. exactly. Well, because those things are uncomfortable. And many of us have also heard a lot of messages, whether it's through their family or like through religious texts that say, you know, the seven deadly sins and anger is one of them. You know, that if we feel these things, we're bad, wrong. You know, you're bad, you're wrong, you shouldn't be feeling those things. Whereas if we actually uh, and I'm I'm distinguishing here between feelings and emotions. I'm talking about like basic emotions that sad, mad, afraid, ashamed, mm-hmm. right? Like the basic emotions. If we turn our attention to the sensations in the body we have that we're naming those things and we just give attention to them, and you can see where this would fit with any kind of meditative or mindfulness exactly. or practice, those emotions tend to moderate. It's kind of like neurologically, we're primed not to hold on to things, which is where what I'm saying is causes suffering, right? It's like holding on to the pain. Whereas if we, if we encounter the pain and we give it presence, it tends to moderate, right? And so, and, but that's, we're taught the opposite. We're taught mm-hmm. to run away. And it's a natural instinct to run away from pain. So I think the practice, you know, you ask, well, what do we do? You know, the practice is to try to tolerate, to make, um, to exercise the muscles we have to bring presence to our pain rather than to make it go away. We don't have to embrace it and hold on to it, but we don't have to push it away. You know, one of the things that I wanted to say this when in thinking about our talk today, it's been my experience, um, which is limited, but when I look at Westerners trying to understand Eastern um, philosophy and practice, people are often very much aware of the Buddhist idea of non-attachment, right? right? So right. people want to they get ascetic and they want to they want to minimalize and they they want to chunk down they get more and more internal kind of sort of right like there's i i shouldn't want this i shouldn't want that like like all desire is bad and so and that's not really true that's not what the teaching is but there's this 
more of an awareness in Westerners about, oh, Buddhism is about non-attachment, but Buddhism is also about non-avoidance. Mm. It's the teaching is dual, non-attachment, non-avoidance, so that when pain comes, we don't avoid that either. And when negative, what we call negative emotions, heavy emotions like anger or envy or any of those really unpleasant things we don't want to know about ourselves that we have as human beings, and we try to push them away. The teaching is not don't attach to them and don't avoid them. Just let them be. And the more we make space for them, it's like making space. And that's the part that to me hooks up with the idea of the spectrum of consciousness. If the traditional clinical psychoanalytic point of view is we're making what's unconscious conscious and that's how the change and the cure so to speak happens Mm -hmm. this is at the other end of the spectrum as i see it we're then expanding our consciousness even more we're saying there's there's pain here there's anger here this that and the other thing is here what's around it what else is there who is it that's aware of the pain, right? So it's about expanding our awareness around those heavy emotions. Well, and this is, I mean, I think that when we think about daily practice, this is something, it it doesn't necessarily just have to be pain or loss of a loved one. We're really talking about all these feelings that, have been deemed as negative. And I exactly. I will often say to people, do you spend as much time thinking about what's bringing joy to you as you do what's bringing pain to you? Because I don't think we do. And I know that that's the practice of gratitude. Right. But we can't, I don't think that we can just practice gratitude without also acknowledging that there's a whole kind of shadow to that, which is also acknowledging and just feeling the, you know, envy, sadness, anger. It's not saying to live there. No, but not to avoid it. You know, and if we give it our kind attention, this is where the teaching about compassion comes in. You know, that if we give our kind, compassionate attention to the part of us that's hurting and angry or sad or prideful or envious or whatever the hell it is, if we give that our compassionate attention, that also helps to devo- you know, to dissolve it. What you just described is using gratitude as a spiritual bypass. It's like, okay, I'm just going to ignore the fact that I want to rip that person's throat out and I'm going to sit down and write the eight things I'm grateful for today. Right. You know, I mean, that's still a good practice. I'm not, I'm not dissing gratitude practice. It's wonderful. And, it, and actually, they think it changes the brain, um, which is curious to me. I don't know enough about that yet. But it's whether or not the, the spiritual practice is being used to avoid something that makes it a spiritual bypass or not. That's, yeah. and, and you're right. It can be for any circumstance, not just loss or death. Any, anything that triggers those heavier kinds of emotional reactions, the unpleasant ones, the ones we want to get rid of, the ones that we've been taught are naughty and bad and we shouldn't have them. We should somehow be, quote unquote, above them. You know, that's the problem because then people are using spirituality to escape their humanity when 
what I've come to know so far and what many of the teachings are that I've, I've come to understand is that the whole point is to bring what's spiritual down into what's human. You know, I looked it up to see, you know, many people and, uh, and your listeners are probably aware of that quotation that says, you know, we are, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, mm-hmm. not human beings having um, a spiritual one. That came from uh, Teilhard de Chardin, which I didn't know. I looked it up and I love him. Um, but if, you, if we start from the premise that says we are spiritual beings, and that's a choice point. I'm, I'm, and what you know, does that mean? What does a spiritual being mean? Well, that means that my, to me, what it means is my essence is my soul, is, is something that's beyond this body and this personality. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I'm a spiritual being that chose to have a human experience, well, that gives me a whole different perspective on what it means when I experience pain or anger or loss or envy. And that's a whole nother podcast I'm going to have. Choosing, right? Why why are we choosing to have these experiences as in in human bodies? But Mm -hmm. that's yes, it is a whole other one. But that, but but it it helps it helps me anyway. Um, It helps me to try to catch myself on not doing spiritual bypassing because when something's really painful, instead of avoiding it, I'm saying, okay, in what way? is this experience part of my growth as a spiritual being? Not my growth as a human being trying to be more spiritual. I'm already a spiritual oh, being. I like that. So not as a human being trying to be more spiritual, as a spiritual being trying to be more spiritual. And, and, and a spiritual being trying to live what it means to be human. To bring what's spiritual down into humanity, into the human realm, rather than raising humanity up if i already am embracing the uh, the sense that i am a spiritual being then i don't have to get somewhere i'm already there so to speak i just have to wake up to it okay well i think that that would be a perfect place to end today on this discussion because i think that leaves a lot of food for thought for people and i'd certainly be curious if anybody wants to reach out and DM me on Instagram and let me know what you're thinking about all of this, because I think it's, a, it's, I mean, it's a lot to kind of understand and digest. And I'm always thirsting for whatever you can, you, whatever knowledge and wisdom you have. And you've, again, continued to expand my own mind and consciousness. So thank you so much for taking the time today to explain the concept of spiritual bypassing and pain and suffering and how we can really live live our existence as spiritual beings having a human experience. Well, thank you again for inviting me and um, please do take good care, Amy. I will. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Make sure you head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. And while you are there, I would love you to rate and review me. Snap a picture of your review and send it over to me on Instagram. You can follow me at Dr. Amy Robbins on both Instagram and Twitter. 
You can also subscribe to my newsletter at dramyrobbins.com. Can't wait until next week on life, death, and the space between.